Heyo. Hello, and welcome. It's the Unnamed Podcast, coming to you live from all over the world. This is Buyako, and I am Samson, here tonight for the show. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Great to have you. Fantastic. It's been a while. It has, actually. How long has it been? Um, time. It, you know. it has been time. Just what is time anyway, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the last since the last time we did it. Yeah, it is and the last time. This is the most current time that we're doing it, actually. That is true. Um, so since since time, uh, things have happened. And, I would say so. Uh, we would like to tell you about it. Small things. Our two and a half listeners. <laughs> yes. Um, well, okay. Let's. If you were to describe your your last week with one sentence, and uh, you know, spiffy spaffy, um, how would you either describe it? Yeah. How would you describe it? I listened to what appeared to be signs and experienced truly one of the most amazing weeks of my life. That's a, that's a hefty statement there, and it's uh, absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, thank you. Um, as for me, as for me, I would I would describe it as a a reminder. Um, because we, we, f- we tend to forget a reminder of the beauty of friendship in its physical form it's, uh, it's, it's completely different than, than anything else and uh, the, uh, the, the idea of like doing things too just do stuff beautiful stop, man stop doing things beautiful and it turns out that the woman in my life Seems to have had a week of similar significance, but in totally different terms. Oof. What's going on, isn't it? What is going on? It's uh, it's it's starting to be a beautiful summer. Yeah. Summer <laughs> summertime. It's just. No kidding, man. That was also kind of we we kind of did. I forgot what that meant too. It's like oh, we can have fun together. Yeah. Um, it's just been well, going and going out of nowhere. And man, s- since the last time we spoke, I'm talking about this last week, but that's actually the week before that, which was also amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I didn't even speak about it at all. Oh, man. And then, like, the weeks that will follow as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Are going to be... Hopefully, yes. Yeah, inshallah, one by one, one day at a time. So far, this is what we're doing. Well, okay, so let me tell you quickly about... Not quickly, uh, just tell me. What's going on? Just go into it. Uh, yes, Samson. Well, um, I, I met up with a couple friends, and uh, it's been quite a, t- quite a long time since I've really uh, gotten in touch with them. Um, but as you know, with, with certain friends and, you know... Uh, special friends you just jump exactly at like to the next moment together like the last time you talked was a moment and then this time is another moment there's nothing to really catch up on or or you just do you exist together 
So uh, we decided to meet up in the middle of a highway, like on the highway kind of. And um, it's not a very romantic place to meet up and see your friends. You know, it's been five or six years, but well, we met there. We met another guy and started talking. Hey, could you paint the picture uh, a little that, bit more for us? Where are we? Describe yes, the course. setting. We are on a, um, a, um, a highway, basically. A lot of cars just passing by and on high speed. Whew. Gotta relax, man. It's just... Ooh, wait. And wait, wait. Are you on the... <laughs> man, are you on the road? <laughs> like, what do you mean on the highway? No, right now... Right now, I need to... Yeah, we're on the... We're on the... We're on the like, are you, are you driving? <laughs> are you standing in the middle of the road? <laughs> okay. This is what I mean. I need to relax. <laughs> yeah, we were putting on the show in the beginning, but I think now we're... We're back! <laughs> um, okay, so we are, we are on the side of the road... Um, on the sides of these, this road is um, are, are a bunch of shops, and you can park in front of the shops. But it's still dangerous because there's no really there's no line between what a road is and what the parking is, and uh, it's just s streets. The cars are blasting by, and we're standing. I, me, it's me and my friend, and then this other guy comes, and then this other guy comes in like separate cars. And this is in Jordan, and so it's dusty and warm. Okay. Yes. Weather is 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 beautiful. Actually, it's it's dusty. It's warm. However, there's a nice breeze. It's a nice summer breeze, um, and it's around 10 p.m. Um, it's getting late for most people. It's uh, the curfew is at 12, so this is the end of the night for many many people. Despite it being a, a Thursday, um, England is playing uh, another team. I believe it's uh, Denmark. Um, and uh, most of the people are watching this game. Um, we, however, decided to go to a sweet shop at 10 p.m. to buy some gifts uh, with with one of our friends who's traveling. This guy is he's he ha he's Palestinian. He's actually Palestinian. However, he grew up in Syria and uh, grew up in Syria and Dubai, and now lives in Boston. But he also has cousins in Egypt, so that's where he was going next. And uh, so he's. The place is closed. The sweets place is, is closed. The lights are down. It's kind of dark, um, and we're just having a good time on the back of the car. We're just like kneeling on the on back of on the back of one of our cars, and uh, we buy shawarma because one of the guys is is, is hungry. And uh, after we wait for the shawarma for about 15 minutes, uh, we decide to go see a view. Like just like, oh, you guys want to go to a view? Like yeah, sure, let's go to a view. This guy's like, oh, this view, I used to go with my friend like eight years ago. I don't know if it's there. So we just need to go explore and like kind of discover it again. So we drive. It's three cars. One is following the other. And we're going on these. It, Amman is like really hilly as well. Like in, in some places, it's, it's the, the incline can be, you know, really steep, 30 degrees, you know. So and it's up and down, up and down. So we're going up and down, up and down in these areas. And, and uh, we're trying to find this place. We kind of don't find it, and we start discussing. Okay, where do we go? There's this another. There's another view, and it's like the view. I've never been to it. It's kind of far from me, and it's far from my mind as well. Um, but we were like, okay, let's do it. All of us were vaccinated, so the curfew doesn't really matter. Um, this is also on a. This is on a, a more dangerous highway. This view. It's on 
Shadow al Urdun. It's a Jordan Street, so it's the, the, probably yeah one of the biggest streets. It takes you from one city to the other, and it's on an incline. I would say 15 degrees, and uh, there are there's this like at the beginning of the hill. There's this old, not functional bus that kind of is like it's like plastered, and the wheels are not there. It's like it's, it's carried by these cement blocks on the wheels on each of the wheels and it's it, j it looks like a car but it's completely just plastered on it there's not even paint on it and the windows open kind of like uh it's, a, it's like a coffee shop basically or a coffee stand where you buy some coffee um over there they can make you turkish coffee within 30 seconds you can order from the car and they can deliver it to you and it's usually like a younger guy um maximum 25 let's say so usually the average age is going to be around 16 or 15 even um, and this is what he, he does this is his job and I ask him like what, what are your hours he says my hours are from 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. and uh, I get I sleep from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. and I go to my first job which is in like uh, it's in um, uh, marble and then he comes here and he, he works I'm like man that's that's a lot <laughs> he's like yeah but you know business is good um, so he makes us uh, one Turkish coffee and two Nescafes, and uh, we we then proceed to the top of the hill um, in our cars because it's on a highway, and we, we park on the side. And you have a, at least 20 other cars and 20 other groups of, p of people hanging out and uh, on the highway overlooking another town. It's called Bega, and Bega is a, is a town that leads to another main city which is called Jarash uh, which is an old old Roman city like you know prehistoric or pre pre Jesus um, and uh, Baga is is a is a refugee camp actually it's Mukhaim al Baga so you have the refugee camp or what it, it was and then the outskirts of it which people have like it was supposed to be a temporary place but now it's a permanent place so this is where people live, um, and they're just lights, and you can see all these like white and orange lights, um, just kind of splattered around. But then you can also see, which I love. This is one of the things I love about this place is that you can see green lights, and these green lights are specifically for mosques. And you have like an average of every ten white and yellow lights. You have, or let's say like twenty. Um, you have one green light and so you just you can know the density of the people or the density of the number of mosques uh, depending on yeah, the number of mosques in, in one area um, and everybody's minding their own business people are far away people are close people are drinking coffee people are listening to music um, people are singing mawal and, and poetry and it's it's usually a bunch of guys it's a lot of guys um, but we decide to sit on the side and, and kind of have our own our own space and we're there for three hours at least and we will go we, we walk somewhere me and my friend and then we come back and then other people come and like these are friends of my friends and they come chill with us they come there front the three guys coming in suits and like they have this kind of like peaky blinders kind of like walk just like walking with hubris and like confidence and even their haircuts were like very Peaky Blinders too. And they're all just wearing really nice suits. They're like, oh, we came back, just came back from a wedding. 
and uh, we're just here in the, in, the, in the neighborhood, so we thought of passing by. They live in Foxborough, Massachusetts, so these guys are Arab Americans, and uh, like, I don't know, cool guys. And it was just a beautiful night, and just, they dwindled, the number of people dwindled until we were three. We called on Messenger more friends from, from abroad, um, asking them when are they coming, and what are they what are they going to do and uh, you kind of get a slice of their life too and discover their new like developments in their life and uh, and then the night the night ends and that was a great reminder of just like I, w I would love to bring you there Samson I think I think we should do that um, I maybe film there uh, that's definitely a thing we should do before before uh, we have our own activities um, so that was that was one night. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder what. <laughs> um, but then the <laughs> the other the yesterday we we went hiking. Um, as my one of my friends said earlier, me me you, Samson and, and him, uh, we kind of failed to recognize the beauty of this area. So we kind of are a little mainstream in terms of when people come, where we take them. So it's usually. Wadiram, which is the desert, Agabe, which is you know the the sea, the beach, the Dead Sea, which is its special has its own special thing, and then possibly something in the north, and that's really it. Um, but we fail to understand that even though this place is most of it is dry, there are of course there are places where there's water. So we went to a place called Wadi bin Hamad. I'm not sure if you've been there, Samson. No. Um, we drive down and uh, it's it's just a water. It's very similar to the hike that we did together. Very very similar in terms of how it looks, but it gets close. It, it, the walls close in together, so there's not much. It's like the Sikh in Petra. Oh yeah, and, cool. Uh, there's not much sun. But there's greenery all everywhere, and there's water just going down the stream with rocks and and uh, the palm trees coming out and. And like water's dripping down from from some of these from the like the rocks on top of you, um, or or down on the walls, and it's five of us, also from high school, but not really close to them. And I don't like I I, st I also didn't care to really catch up with them. It was just we're having an amazing time, and like the the privilege of having a substance that will allow me to enhance my experience like I, I, I had it for a little bit of, of for part of the trip and I, I couldn't stop smiling I couldn't stop smiling I couldn't stop staring I couldn't I got really emotional about how I need to bring everybody here and we need to hang out here and what how like these people live here and this is their life and like of course everybody needs to be to live but like why do i have to be part of the city why am why am i part of the city folk that come here to be like oh my god this is amazing like why can't i can i just have a simple life and just you know be around this stuff and it it, <laughs> it was just a it was a great experience to be in water and and understand that this place is beautiful as any other place we then 
kind of he, there's a ladder that he has there's a, a metal ladder that he brings um, the guide that lives there and uh, and uh, he we, we got really close to him um, and he's like listen uh, there's th so there? there's this stream and I think we can go there we just need the ladder you, are you guys okay with it like would you be willing to risk it and uh, they were like yeah of course so we, we bring the ladder we put it on one of the like a short waterfall and we all climb it's a little dangerous so there's like that adrenaline aspect but at the at the top of this small waterfall is another large waterfall it's like at least 15 meters high and it's like an oasis it's like it's like a paradise it's like nobody's been here even though people for sure have been here but it's like something that we've discovered something that we've done something that we decided to venture on and, and see and that idea of discovery and idea of adventure and idea of like any seeing something unknown is also something that I'm kind of like jealous of with these people who live here is that like they have mountains and mountains and, and of nothing and to find something so beautiful is I'm sure it's an amazing feeling so it was just a great day in general and rejuvenating and made me excited for what will be in the future of like really having this as a priority you know going outside you know like you would simple as that yes going outside and one thing to mention i think this is super important like i, I was like i was he, my friend me and my friend were talking and i was like this needs to be in the podcast and hopefully i've practiced enough to be able to say the story my friend uh, who went with us he lives um in the in the west however he has a we've we've been friends since fourth grade i would say fourth fifth grade and we've continued to be friends uh, throughout high school. We kind of like, oh, you're going to this high school too? Um, and continue to have this uh, beautiful relationship. And he continues to live in the West. Um, however, he understands the values that he has. He understands the um, priorities he has in life and kind of remem still reminds himself of uh, who he is and who how he grew up. Um, which is to s only to say that his knowledge of his own culture uh, surpasses many people who have decided to leave this, this region. And he continues to learn and be part of it um, to an extent where there are very few people that I know who have this type of knowledge. And it's, it's, we like to connect through poetry, even though I, uh, he loves to share poetry. That's really it. So he c we're walking and he just comes next to me and he starts reciting this this poem, and it's it's beautiful of course and it's uh, it's an Arab it's an Arabic poem, and we he explains it to me because the the language is is definitely a little bit more advanced and uh, archaic, and the the point of the story is not the specific words of the poem but how the poem came to be so um, it, it describes the poet's relationship to seeing a at least the beginning of the poem to seeing an animal 
to seeing a deer in nature and then it fleeing away and uh, he related it to our experience that we're having right now in terms of seeing nature and and seeing like a small crab in the in the in the creek and uh so he goes on to explain what this poem is this poem is called uh it's uh, called nahj al-burda and uh, it's a poem written by ahmed shawqi who is called the prince of poets in arabic amir al-shu'ara uh, the fam- one of the most famous poets in, in arabic modern arabic literature and uh, nahj al-burda is a poem about the prophet so kind of like uh, appreciating the prophet and, and saying great words about the prophet and it's an its inspiration comes from a another poem that was written around 500 AD um, and it's written by Al-Busiri and it's called Al-Burda uh, Nahj Al-Burda is in the inspiration of Burda and I'll explain what Burda is but the poem was inspired by Al-Burda by Al-Busiri who was one of the top poems, uh, yeah, poets in pre-Islamic, uh, uh, pre-Islamic times and was written on one of the Mu'allaqat, the ten Mu'allaqat and these ten Mu'allaqats were basically Mu'allaqa is a hanging poem that were hung on the Kaaba in Saudi Arabia and these were the top like, like these are the, the shits you know and uh, to be to have something written at that time was just like super different or like you need to really be good at what you're doing to be for it to have it to be written because uh, traditionally poetry was orally uh, transmitted it was a performance rather than a written thing and something to be read it was something to be listened to and so this this al burda is also a a poem writing you know d- describing uh the beauty of the prophet and uh like basically how amazing he was and this was only a response to another poem that this 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 poet al-busiri wrote uh previously which was criticizing islam and criticizing the prophet and because he saw um how negative the Im- the reaction was from other people like people sought to go kill this person what he did was he wrote another poem he approached the prophet in a cloak so that he was anonymous and he went to him and he recited it to him and after that the prophet forgave him basically and al-burda is the cloak that he was wearing so that's the name of the the poem is is basically the cloak that he was wearing and uh so like this (laughs) the poem that he was reciting to me was a is a poem inspired by by another poem that was a response to another poem and it's just like like my mind blew <laughs> because it's it, it, there's this like f- direct link between today this the modern poem of Ahmed Shoki and then like pre pre-islamic era um, and I don't know why people don't appreciate this or why this is not and of course, it seemed to be beautiful, but I d- I people need to know more about this. People need to understand that you know, Rumi is not the only thing that comes from here, and that Whitney Cummings is not, you know, is is an amazing uh, poet. But like, this needs to be in the mainstream media. This needs to be heard by everybody.
It's it's uh, it goes further than like the wisdom is it comes further than or yeah uh, than western more modern western uh, uh, literature so I thought it would be it was definitely worthy to be to, to be recorded and mentioned about you have a so yeah man that was it you have a new audience that requires a different medium but you don't have to it's just about re-presenting it to in a new way that's true presentation yeah i can already see it you know if you're if you film someone a very compelling reader in a very compelling space presenting and reading the poets the poem but maybe even reciting it because that would be the best way to present it right without any without any paper in front of them yeah if you i mean the limitation that you have uh traditionally is portraying you know religious figures or portraying also women but i guess i mean every limitation is is a good thing Creatively, so. You don't have to show what's happening necessarily, you know. Yeah, it's a exactly. feeling that you're trying to capture. So that was that was my week. I um, mean, the easiest is to just have summarized. somebody reciting it, you know, set it up that it's just somebody reading it, but reading it in a very compelling way, mm -hmm. in a very good space, maybe with some musical accompaniment. Simple effective done deal well put <laughs> um, so are you able to tell us where you went like in terms of a location yeah I can let me see I need to up my energy a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> um, I am I wouldn't call it low energy but okay which day did you go out into that hike yesterday okay now if it was two days ago it would have been interesting because i've been doing a very similar experience really yeah where do we start and how do i <laughs> I need to pull myself into a... I have this early morning, low energy vibe that I seem to be sitting around. Maybe because I'm just kind of a little tired. But if it is the job to be able to bring energy, <clears throat> well, that's what we need to do. <laughs> Listen, like, uh, I am very excited to hear about your experience. You know what, man? I'm just going to swim through this break, and when the wave comes, I'll ride it. Yes, that's what happened right now with me. Yeah. Um, I do have a calming presence. However, there was definitely some excitement and, and energy to what I was trying to say. You know, stories are all about the, the energy. If you can pull people in high moments and low moments and high moments and low moments and keep them sort of asking for more. Oui, monsieur. All right, uh, so... For the last couple of months, I 
initially I had this intention of going to Utah to do the 28-day outdoor survival training. And I was really pumped to do it, but as the reality kind of drew nearer, I really started to think about it more, and I thought, I am absolutely dreadfully unprepared for this. More, dreadfully unprepared because I actually really don't have an image of what it is I'm going to be stepping into at all. It would be a total surprise. And no matter how flexible and strong I could be, <laughs> I really thought, I already know how these things go. Like, you pay a lot of money, you build up a lot of time, it all builds up in this culminating f place where you think, you know what, I need to achieve this. And if I don't achieve this, it is a waste. But then I'll be in a place, a foreign place. So the idea is that there will be a lot of pressure on me. And I figured I won't let myself give up, even if my body's really asking for it. So also it seemed a little unclear as to how I would travel to the States. So there was just a lot of stuff going in that way. So I, I called it off. I canceled. But it kind of bummed me out because... What I was looking forward to really is to have some kind of cathartic transformation that would occur with my birthday right in the middle as I turn 28 to cap this year of 27. And without that, there was a bit of a void. So I started looking around for things to do. And one of the ideas that I thought of was, hey, let's do, um, let's do a Wim Hof method type of thing. Like, what if, what if they got going on? And, you know, I hadn't really been practicing the method anymore much. Only occasional ice, uh, occasional cold showers. I wasn't even doing the breathing anymore. I just, I don't know, I had this feeling that it'd be interesting. So I looked up and there was a retreat that they were doing, six-day thing at the beginning of July in Spain. I thought, well, that's pretty nearby. So I put it in my kind of projected future. You know, I said, you know, this is this is the thing I'll, I'd like to do and I'll do it. And I just kept it in there. But it's definitely not inexpensive. You know, it had cost some money. And I am certainly not the type of person who likes to spend money on himself not in this format at least and so i just didn't book it didn't book it didn't book didn't book and it wasn't nothing was happening i thought you know manana it'll do tomorrow and then we're in switzerland <laughs> floating down a river in a bunch of inflatable donuts with like eight of them tied together into one clump for one guy's birthday <laughs> And it was a crazy experience. And in this experience, I'm talking to the guy whose birthday it is. And he asked me what I was going to do. And I said I was thinking of doing it. And I'm just waiting for... I just wasn't sure if I should do it. And he kind of said some good things. And he said, hey, you know what, man? You should do it. I wasn't totally sold yet, but I had that feeling in my heart. And then about five minutes later, I get an email from one of the collaborators I have in my photography world and they said one of our customers wants to license one of your images for three years for this much money and the, the amount of money almost to the dot was the money that I needed and so I looked up and I thought you know what <laughs> if it's look you know you don't have to be superstitious if this <laughs> I'll take it forget superstitious like, like at least I like, have yeah you can't I have it now. What's the excuse? It dropped from the sky. <laughs> and so I went to the website and I was ready to go, ready to go. I'm, I'm on the boat, pulled up my phone, not even the boat. I mean, I'm, I'm in my underwear. I don't have a swim short and I have a, uh, one of a classic tourist hat, you know, one of those that's all 360 degrees around me. And I'm hanging out at the back of this double donut, just keeping my ass out of the water because it's cold water. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we're floating down on this incredible day. Crabs are just like you're just like really struggling, you know. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Oh yeah, no, I didn't have my phone phone on me then, but I remember I got home and I immediately opened just the first thing I wanted to do, just open check and book, and then I ready to go and boom, with four days before the event, it said sold out. And, you know, I was really bummed out, but I, like, there was so much going on around us in this Swiss campsite. We had a lot to do that it didn't really sync with me. But I got back to Barcelona on the 4th, and it was kind of weighing on me in, in some way because I felt, you know, there was a sign, and maybe maybe I just misread it. And the following morning, I turned on the shower, and I, you know, I'm not really thinking. And I turn on the cold water first, and it shocks me shocks me, but I bear it for a second, and then I let it happen, and it kind of slaps me in the face. I said, I can't miss this. The event starts today, this day. I need to go there. There was something telling me I have to go there. The people I'll meet, the things that'll happen. I don't know. It just felt like it. And so I went to the website. No, no, I, I went and gave them a call. Couldn't find their number, actually. I emailed. I said, hey, is there any chance you can fit me in today? I'm ready to go. Just tell me what you need from me. And so that's what we did. And no response, one hour, two hours, three hours. Now the event starts in three hours. So I just checked, I go on their website to check if there's a phone number I can reach or something. And as I go, I scroll past the event and that little red banner that says sold out wasn't there. So I quickly, quickly clicked and within 45 seconds, I had it booked. I would find out later that there was a, there was a software error on their part that allowed it to be open for me to be able to book it when it was not the intention. And so, so I was a last minute addition that was unplanned, unscheduled, but they had to somehow work around it and they did. So I quickly rushed to pack my bag. I had quick, I half-assed looked at the packing list, really didn't think much of it, just stuffed everything in the bag, and we drove to the airport, said goodbye, and I walked straight to the bus and met everyone. And at first there was just a, just a group of people on a bus for three hours as we tra traveled to the, the northern part of Spain in the province of Aragon in the Pyrenees. And it's a venue that was like a summer camp with wooden cabins where we would stay in two to four people per cabin, each with its own deck. Um, it's at a reservoir of turquoise water nestled between the mountains of Spain, of the Pyrenees on one side. Really phenomenal place. But low-key, easy. The dining hall was a big erected tent, kind of pointed at the top, white, with bright white light. And it almost felt like eating at high school again. It's the first night, we all have dinner, and Wim himself gives a couple words, and everybody's excited. It seems like somebody pulled him out of bed, and he, he's just, uh, Welcome, thank you for coming. You're, uh, yes, we're happy we're going to have a good week. Good week. And everyone's just watching like they've seen the Messiah, you know, wide-eyed prophet looking upon them. And the conversations that we start having with people, nobody talks about work, and immediately you start seeing that there's a distinct openness about everybody. I get to the bar, you know, I have a, I have my packs with me and just meet a couple of people, sit down and in no time I'm sitting for two hours with a group of four guys at, a, at just a, outside on, on a metal table on a terrace under some trees and 
we're just talking about everything and just clearly saw, man, these guys are in the same place. You know, they're thinking similar things. They're in, there's different things that led to them here, but similar place. The following morning, everything kind of came together and we started seeing that really there's this distinct openness that everybody has toward each other. It's as though there was absolutely no performance whatsoever. But there was nothing dogmatic either because really the whole principle behind this is ice and air, water and air. That's all they're really selling to you. Now, we get to the first morning breathing session, and Wim himself administers it and gives it, and he precedes it with like a, a 45-minute speech. Oh, wow. And the speech is not a speech. It's just really just a guy rambling. <laughs> mm. and, and he got really mad at the pharmaceutical establishment. And I was really... And it almost sounded like my own father when it comes to things that he was saying, like the type of WhatsApp messages he must have been forwarding. And so I started to think like, you know, he's really picking the wrong moments. And between that, there were a bunch of really like lowbrow, easy jokes, like poop jokes, literally. And it was beginning to trip me out a little bit. And I thought, you know, you know, I guess he's, you know, the guy went through some major trauma in his early life um, in terms of his his. His wife jumps from an eight-story building, left him with four kids, and he wasn't even in the country when it happened. And then he was already doing the cold water exposure, and he would do more and more and more until people caught attention, and he became an object of media attention in the Netherlands. And he was referred to as a freak and as a superhuman. And that's what he was told. And he always believed that he's not a freak. It's just anybody could do this. It's just the power of the mind, the power of cold water, the power of breathing. 2014, he gets the Dutch equivalent of the Mayo Clinic studies him and they find shocking results in terms of his capacity to essentially, if it takes somebody three days to, for their body to fight off a, a virus, his body could do it in 40 minutes. Mm. And just through focused breathing and cold water. And so clearly the man sees the light in the sense that he sees, and I can explain why later, what it was, he can see the actual thing that everybody does seem to be missing in terms of what cold water and breathing can do for your cardiovascular system, which is the system that runs everything, absolutely everything. You know what I'm saying? And so it's this type of experience where it just felt like a community of adults. <laughs> but everyone was exactly at that cross-section between self-growth, like a desire for discomfort to find strength, and professional stability, because it's, it's not that cheap, and, and action, people who want to do something. The first day we do a five-minute ice bath. It's like a blue kiddie pool under some trees here in, Spain, in that Spanish area. And you could fit about 15 people in one and six in the other, and we're just all digging our own grave, pouring the ice into the pool. <laughs> it's beginning to get really real. But, you know, everybody really hypes each other up. They're playing a tabla. There's a beat. It's almost tribal. And we step in. And you dunk yourself in, shoulder down, hands in the water. And everybody's there shoulder to shoulder. We're supposed to do five minutes. Out of, just off the bat, five minutes. And it was pain on every corner of the body. It just felt like stinging everywhere. But 
there was, you know, guys start chanting and humming and, and making sort of sounds together to connect yourself through it. And at the end of it, five minutes, we all jump out, everybody's screaming, and we run to the sun, and we're doing this thing called horse pose where you're, st you're standing in a squatted position and you're slowly pushing each arm to the furthest left and right side just across your body so that you can somehow get blood flowing. And everybody's doing that together. And just to heat up and bring the blood flow back. But sort of you know, the, the whole body gets alive again. And everybody is extremely energetic and then we have lunch and then after lunch they take us down to the down to the lake and it's really muddy and they say get in the mud let's get covered in mud and this one guy Aussie he's called went to boarding school from age 8 to 18 but British 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 as English as you can possibly imagine mm -hmm. and he's got long kind of blonde curly hair and always a smile on his face and he's uh, on our wavelength if you catch what I'm saying he walked up to, he ran up to the mud as the first and just instead of stepping into it, he jumped belly first and like mouth open, sliding through the mud, catching mud everywhere. And because of what he did, he gave permission to everybody to say, you know, what, let's do it. So before you knew it, everyone was rolling around in the mud like pigs, you know, completely covering themselves. And then we formed a big, big, big circle of all the hundred people that were there and everybody covered in drying mud. And they're all saying like saying a few words while you're here. I came to heal myself. I came to find my body again. I came to get over some trauma that I had, whatever. I came to live, you know, whatever. <laughs> then some of the people, man, the guy next to me had this French guy called Phil, Phil Dinon. And he's one of the coolest dudes I've seen. He's two meters tall, massive chest and arms, long blonde hair and long beard, perhaps the most handsome specimen of a human being I've encountered, you know? He's a like a pure, pure Adonis of a man. Like He looks like Thor. <laughs> He just looks exactly like Thor. And he's got a French accent. And his first thing he said to me before was like, I love your energy, man. <laughs> and this is his fifth Wim Hof retreat. Like this guy is like, this is what he's bringing it into his life and he wants to bring it into it. And this is uh, very important for him. And so at this point, everyone's feeling really connected. Following day, we do five or 10 minutes in the ice bath. At this point, I've already there was um, two Dutch boys, 16 and 18, and their mom. Parents had divorced, and the boys were a little like slouched type of boys, the 18-year-old really especially. And he was talking to me in Dutch. He didn't speak English very well, and he said, "You know, I think I am. Um, I think I could. I want to do the five minutes. I'm not sure if I could do ten today." And granted, there were, the ice had didn't have new ice today. The water was still very cold, but it wasn't as cold. And I said, "You know, I just felt like he needed some inspiration." So I looked at him. I said, "Let's do ten." And I said, and I looked at him, no, that's not what I said, that's not how it went. I looked at him, and he paused for a second, he's like, okay, well, let's do 10. And he just, he noticed what we were going to do. And so we walked in the bath, and we did these 10 minutes, we, half the people left in five minutes, and he and I stayed in it for 10. And then we do it together, and like, beyond all the other conversations I had with him, at the end of the week, his mom came to me and said, she gave me a big hug, she said, thank you, you've, you've been a big inspiration for my boys. Amazing feeling, amazing feeling to hear that. Throughout, so throughout the process, I started getting to this point where I would just sit under the tree to do some meditation, do some writing. I started getting a little bit tired of Wim's rants and raves in the first few days about COVID and God knows what. So I started just taking my notebook and while he was just going at it, I would write. And I kind of felt like I was trying to understand what was going on. But I was just writing and of course people took notice. So when I would sit under the tree, people would ask me what I'm writing about. And before you know it, I'm just telling someone kind of how the process of writing has affected me. Now I'm sitting there under the tree and in no time there's like 18 people and all sitting in a circle around the tree and I'm there. 
in no time, from every angle, people from independence or like, totally independently start calling me Jesus and Buddha. <laughs> and it becomes just, like, that's just what they want to call me. And I settled with them. I was like, look, I don't want to just call me the man under the tree. <laughs> like, if that's what you, you want to have some kind of name, at least it doesn't have any real significance beyond that. Yeah. In the meantime, so, but we're having amazing conversations and I explain to a group of people why, what it is that I found in writing and how, and I explained it so well and I could probably do it again, but it was just watching in a group of 15 ki kids, it was like Dead Poets Society. I felt like Robin Williams. I just saw the spark in the eyes and all of them saw really clearly what it is, the power, what the power can be of putting your pen on paper. They just saw it so damn clearly. Some kids were just like uh, hands on their head as if like my mind is being blown right now. I could never imagine the absolute power that you can have. Because all I was trying to preach to them is that no matter what answer you look for, the answer's in yourself. And that's where it's always going to be. A guy came to me after, he's one of the instructors. And he said, dude, I don't know what's going on, but when I watch you, it's like, it's like you're channeling something. <laughs> you're, you know, you're channeling. You're not talking. It's not from you. You're channeling. I don't know what it means. But the guy was like... <laughs> He, really, he, he just he really needed to say it and so I'm just putting it out because I don't I don't know what it means I, I can somehow understand what it means but not through not through what this guy is seeing but mm -hmm. I, I began to notice that these are a group of people who are here to be inspired that's their role and I thought you know man I'm in the constant process of wanting to try and inspire people <laughs> so let me lean into this <laughs> you know <laughs> let me lean into this so let's, let's work together yeah man and so i just kept doing it i kept wanting to like share stories and thoughts and eventually like it got to the point where it's just the 16 year old dutch boy who was actually a really great kid all he did was sit and listen he would just go in all the great conversations he'd just sit there and be a part of it just listening absorbing it and he was he, you knew he was absorbing and another kid 21 year old spanish kid and he said man i didn't talk to a lot of people about this but after he'd been listening the whole time, he'd already decided to start writing. He'd put, taken out his phone, and after an hour, he pointed his phone to me and showed me as he scrolled down through it. He had tears running through his eyes. Mm. And he said to me, he said, man, I want to I, I talk to you. I want to say, because I want to hear what you have to say about this. And he told me, he said, at 13, when I was 13, and he's 22. When I was 13, my father died. And as a, when I was 16, my mother and my two sisters in a plane crash. And he said, what if, because we were talking about climbing mountains, he said, what if the biggest mountain that you'll ever climb in your life, you've already climbed? And, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking. But I, didn't, I wanted, didn't want to take pity on him. I wanted to be what he was asking. So for half an hour, I just shared with him the thoughts that were happening in my mind. And I could, I could just see his eyes opening and opening and opening. And at the end of the process, he just gave me a, a hug like he'd never hugged a brother. And just said, man, I don't know, I don't even remember what he said. It was a really emotional moment for all of us. At some point, there were tears flowing in all of us. And he just said, thanks. Thank you, man. As if I had shown him something. And so for the next few days, he was my little brother, man. I was... I was there for him, you know, I, we, we found that we both liked these solfeggio frequencies and I would go and find a way to put it on for him. And when he wanted to go in the ice bath, I would sort of hold this sort of speaker, which you can hold from the top, but it looks like a bottle and it has a handle at the top, so it's almost shamanistic. And I would spin it around his head and time him while he's doing his ice baths. And I was really just trying to be there for him. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's a rapper. He's trying to make his way. He went to boarding school in the UK, but good kid. And it just, 
I felt like you know inspiration has to come in a variety of ways. So I really I, I tried to be there for him. And so as the trip progressed, it was just you found that every single person was happy to talk to every single person, and everyone had interesting stories to tell. So it clicked with me. It's like often what we do in conversations is we're there's a social custom that exists in the form of a conversational pattern. That pattern is you speak a little bit, I speak a little bit, you speak a little bit. You know, just because you don't want to seize the space too much. Don't make it about you too much. That's just what the custom tells us. But the fact is nobody's ever able to really go into the thought, you know, to, to step far beyond the ground floor. You have to just hover over the details. And people never actually learn how to talk or how to tell, right? But all you have to do is change the pattern to say, you know what, each person talks as long as they like. And then when they're done, the next person does and tell a story. So then one night we started with a few people and we just said, what's your story? <laughs> and it was a big question, but somebody just told whatever story they wanted to tell. And now in about two hours, there, it was a constantly shifting table at the bar of 20 people where one person would come in and tell their story. And each amazing, amazing story, a PhD neuroscientist guy who just had this sort of transcendental experience when he went and saw a Reiki practitioner and he entered some kind of psychosis and he described it in the most vivid detail I've ever heard anybody describe at the point that he left the university the next day because now he was going for what he described as next level shit. And so that's how he found his, <laughs> he's the instructor of the instructors for the experience of the Wim Hof Method. And so this is, uh, now this, that was the story he told other people. I mean, I can't even remember at this point. One guy talked about having going on a vision quest in Sweden. It was this type of experience where you don't eat, or you just have water for four days in a cabin, and it's a facilitated experience. So that was almost a totally psychedelic one. Another one talked about, she lives in Barcelona. She talked about dating a shaman, a Colombian indigenous shaman, for five years and administering the ayahuasca ceremonies all over the world because he's one of the most in-demand shamans. And that's an experience she has in her back pocket. The type of stories that we heard from people were just beyond belief. So the following day we did the same thing because everybody wanted to say it again. So now the name for me switched, not, not exclusively, but switched to Storyteller. Even that Wim Hof started calling me Storyteller. <laughs> hey, Storyteller! And he'd look at me and he used to kind of like, oh, 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 a bit of a rambling man. And he's like, uh, Samson. And Samson in the Bible is the, who has his, his hair as his strength. And if you cut his hair, you lose his strength. And throughout the week, I really began to see that although he's not articulating it well, he's a man who spent 30 years being told that he was wrong, right? And now that he's being right, he feels so vindicated and he's being called the Messiah that his ego probably can't handle it. But actually his heart is completely in the right place and those constant poop jokes bring him right back down to reality and show that he doesn't give a shit he just doesn't give a shit which is something that you could see that the respect for him at least in me was growing and growing and growing and before long everybody started really kind of considering him almost like a shaman not because in the end all he's really saying is that there is an untold potential for this method untold we spent Two hours under the tree with a guy named JP, Juan Pablo, one of the coolest dudes I've met. Mexican guy, good-looking guy, great smile. He's one of the instructors. The instructors don't get paid. They get chosen out of 120. Six of them come of the most prominent instructors to have the privilege to be at one of these retreats. He flew in from Mexico City. And this guy talked about how four or five years before he had been um, diagnosed with Lyme disease. 
and he had to undergo massive antibiotics daily for months and he hadn't slept well for months and months and months until one day he just I don't know what it was but he tried the cold bath and the breathing and he and he had, bet, had the best sleep of his life and from that he immediately noticed that there's something really crazy happening here and so he had pledged to say let me do an ice bath every day for two weeks and so the first day he did the ice bath he wasn't doing that horse pose warm-up thing it took him four hours to heat up the second day it took him three hours and by the 14th day his whole body was warming up in eight minutes what I was learning and what we were seeing in his eyes is that you have a normal functioning cardiovascular system that will function normally but like anything if you give your body a need it will answer it if a dog has three legs it will learn to direct the energy to those three legs and so the need is pump and flow and distribute your blood more efficiently more effectively in a better and a stronger way and so really what this process is doing is improving your cardiovascular flexibility to superhuman levels he describes that he doesn't take any medication now it's it's been three years since he was sick and his Lyme disease, he shows, he sees a couple symptoms here and there, but nothing major. And in the meantime, he's been climbing mountains bare-chested just by breathing in a special way all over Mexico. The guy's lived all over the world. <laughs> he told the story of how his father, who was 86, didn't, wasn't interested in doing this method. But he'd reached a point where his hands were too inflamed and he no longer had dexterity to even hold his walking stick. And so Juan Pablo says to his father, okay, now you do the method. Now we do it together. I have been easy, but now we do it. So he put a pail of warm water and a pail of ice water and had his father put his hand in one and then the other, one and then the other, one and then the other for about 20 minutes. And at the end of his 20 minutes, his hands started moving again and his eyes totally lit up. And now about a month later, Juan Pablo got a message from his father or from his family like two days before, two days ago. And it's just a picture of his dad on the computer with his hand on the mouse and hand on the keyboard you know something he hadn't been able to do for two years and it's and the more you hear these stories another story that came a, a dad came in from Poland and he was just in the area and he had already been practicing the method for many years and he brought his two sons like seven and nine years old and he told the story how they wanted to join him with the cold water exposure so he started doing it they started doing ice baths with him and eventually in Polish winter they were going to school without a jacket and dad gets called into the principal's office and principal says um there's a problem your sons are coming to school without a jacket dad says so well you know the other other kids have jackets on and it's not good you know it's not healthy what's the problem i don't see the problem here and then they looked at the register of attendance and in the last two years his sons were the only two kids who never missed a day of school didn't call didn't were not sick for one single day not a single day and the more you sort of stand around that, you see that really there is untold potential, untold potential to this method, really. And I, I began to see very clearly what my role was in this whole story. Because, you know, it's not a small deal. Wim, you know, just at one day, he was late to one of the sessions because he was podcasting with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like he's at, he's, he's at the very top and, and he's growing and growing and he's taking on something very big. But what I see is that his story lacks focus and the message lacks real direction. And I also realize that nobody really tells stories the way I do, at least not in terms of videos. It's just not that common. I haven't encountered too many.
And I began to see that my function in this whole system is to, to tell the story. So if you tell the story, people understand what it actually is. So it goes beyond just one crazy guy and really owns what it is. And so I started telling, we're having a, our last day, everyone's just chilling out, sitting around a circle with him. There's, he's on the chair, but there's a chair next to him, so I sat in the chair. And eventually I open conversation with him, and it's like we're having a panel discussion. <laughs> you know, uh, just as if almost an interview, a bunch of people listening. And I start talking about the representation, telling the story, and we really reach interesting common ground. And when the guy looks at you, he listens. You know, he, he clearly speaks a bunch of languages. He plays guitar very well, plays just like, well, like me, but much better. The guy has untold knowledge about all sorts of different schools of thought, and clearly he was listening deeply. At the end, he's like, these are good ideas. Here, take my number. Write me, come to my house, and we'll talk further. And in, so I gave him my phone, and I said, well, my name is Rob, but you saved me however you'll remember me. And he saved me in his, in, on his phone, Rob, biblical storyteller. Upon his own decision. <laughs> and I thought immediately in that moment, it's like, imagine receiving a message from a guy named Rob Biblical Storyteller. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I say, you know, I could say anything. <laughs> and I thought in this summer camp environment where everybody is already super high energy and super out there, I can already, it's like working at a school. I just go there. <laughs> And I have a script ready to go, and it'll be the same process. Yeah. And so, really, beyond all of that, it was probably the first time in my life where I, f I felt this sort of total feeling of acceptance from people around you, which allowed each person to behave and perform as to the person that they wanted to be. And there was, there was just so much positive. I mean, from every country, man all over we had belgians and finns and swedes and danes and lithuanians and this group of four serbian guys 22 year olds that were really thuggish in their energy but when i told them like my my project about my animal photos i was i was one guy's like what you're skipping over details <laughs> go slower <laughs> but this is important <laughs> and they're just listening and they're funny funny guys man some really irish dudes americans uh, people from every age in their 60s one guy who's a the audio engineer for Masterclass, you know, putting the microphone to record Jane Goodall and Carlos Santana and Gordon Ramsay, etc., etc., etc. Lives in Los Angeles, you know, really just to, the the country codes that were entered into my phone after this. It just felt like this intense degree of you suddenly get make so many new friends and you know these are every person is saying you're completely welcome in my house. Come visit me anytime. <laughs> And people like some people, one guy with a multi-million multi startup and really, really interested, Belarusian guy, who's like interested in all sorts of subjects and discussions. And I'm just saying like, man, like to, to meet so many people and to have such deep connections is that I never felt myself perform and behave in that way and find myself in that way. And it just became really clear that whenever you, follow, whenever you have a gut feeling, just follow that gut. You know, I, I, I began to think like I couldn't imagine what my time would have been like had I had I not been there. Because it was an emotional time, man. <laughs> and beyond that, on the outside, we also went rafting on whitewater. We did canyoning in the canyon that you couldn't believe. You know, jumping from 10 meters into crystal water and swimming and going on these natural rock slides down. I mean, it was just 
amazing and then floating down together with these people every conversation everybody had was so great because people loved each other and wanted to hear from each other and so really it's one of those where we have to go again and I have to be a part of them they're they're small and they need this type of help and I could be very useful you know and it just felt like a bit of a calling in that sense because now I want to do the ice paths and I know you'll do it with me I'm sure because oh yeah I didn't even mention Third day of ice baths was two minutes in, warm up, and then do repeat that five times. And you had to keep renewing the strength of will to get back in that ice bath, which was really a good psychological experiment. And the last day was the dreaded 15-minute ice bath in pure ice. So this was not like the 10-1 in melted ice, 15 minutes in pure ice bath. So much ice that it's, it pretty much doesn't even feel like water anymore. And... We get in the bath and I start reciting Shakespeare on the rhythm. There's a big beat going. You know, I just felt like it had to come and eventually everyone is screaming and dancing, screaming and dancing. And inside the water, just like I see a guy suffering opposite me, I start singing Bob Marley loud and now we're all singing, don't worry about that there. And there's just cool energy happening in the group of people. Anyway, um, we get out to do the horse pose and everyone's fingers and hands are really beginning to hurt. But you feel the blood flowing through every part of your body. Every part of your body is alive and real. And the real energy that you feel is amazing. The story goes is that the breathing is to alkalize your blood. And the ice is to reduce all inflammation. And to improve your cardiovascular circulation. So things that are at the very base of transmission of all information through your body. And what I notice is after those 15 minutes... The two-minute bath that they suggest you do in the morning now means nothing. You know, what's two minutes? <laughs> and so now everyone's really pumped. Everyone's already talking about how we're going to have, like, ice bath sessions. I'm thinking, how do I put a barrel on my balcony and make this happen? Because I need to figure out a way to, to do it. I don't know, but I would like to find a way. Oh, man. Wow, man. Yeah, I even feel like I've skipped a lot, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's uh, absolutely beautiful. It, it seems like you've, you've found something, you found yourself either again or you've just found a, dip, a, 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 a you. You found part of you that you felt might have been lost or, or hidden or buried. And it's a liberating experience both physically and emotionally. You know, the way I feel it is if you describe an image of somebody running and running and running up a, up a hill and then once they reach the top of the hill without hesitating, they jump and spread their arms wide, you know, and take the leap. <laughs> it just felt like this was a, especially the way that message seems to drop from the sky, the money at least. Oh, man. It feels strange. And it's like I think. Um, what do you do with that? You're at a point where like, you can. You want to be. You want to be useful. This is a desire that you would you would like to have, and if you find a way to be useful, then that's what you should do. You know, that's the next step that should happen. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Honestly, amazing experience. And uh, we're going to have to do stuff like this, really. 
and I'm sure I'll have more to tell once it ferments a little bit, once it goes down into the bloodstream. And also, I'm sure you're, you're writing a lot too. Yeah, and a lot of friends to to now interact with and meet. You know this guy, the English guy I said who also went to boarding school. He even upstages me in hummus. He, he like the way he describes he making the hummus and put the the bicarbonate of soda and put it in the mix it in there and then it'll split. Beautiful, and it's just like I can't I can't do his accent at all. <laughs> I ate, but I'll have a little bit more. Just a very little bit. Anyway, man, I'm, uh, I think this was a good experience and good to share. Thanks for listening. Sure, man. <laughs> and I um, actually need to get started on the video editing that has been awaiting me for yes, sir. our latest project because it's, it's been a bit of a ride since then, now and then, and I think I can infuse that energy. I actually like I'll in coming up next episode. I'll talk to you how I think, how I started seeing the limitless potential of incorporating this method into an already strong boarding school community, and what it could do towards their interactions with each other and with themselves. Thank you, Samson, and I'll be uh, putting uh, water bottle noises in between segments for next for the next episode. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, for everybody, for listening. And stop. Cut.